0: Talking about something awesome. I'm Zirka. And I'm Sinead. Um, I detect that note of stress in your voice. It seems you've had a bit of a hard time lately.
1: When have I never had a hard time? Uh, My computer decided to be. uh, Basically, the government hacked my computer and stole all my files, and uh, that was stressful. And I think the Pentagon is after me now. But uh, (laughs) I completely forgot what our intro was there for a moment but that's okay
0: are you you at least know your name remember the <laughs> remember the very first episode of the podcast when you nearly called yourself name.
1: that was true yes that just kind of goes to show the the level of quality I have whenever, <laughs> I, whenever I start the podcast as opposed to you
0: Hello. Oh, anyway, um, what um, are we talking
1: about today Sinead <laughs>
0: Uh well we're going to be talking about one of my favorite films of all time, my favorite film series of all times, uh The Omen. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Do you want to um, know how old I was when I saw the first Omen film?
1: I would imagine knowing you, uh I'd say
0: quite young. Uh well, it wasn't that young by the grand scheme of things. I was 12. Um you know, so nowhere near 18, um, but, you know, a lot of decapitated heads, people jumping off buildings, demonic dogs, uh, attempted child murder, that was all right up my alley.
1: As you do. <laughs> I, I remember I was quite young when I first watched, like, The Silence of the Lambs, I think I was like six, so um, <laughs> that explains what's wrong with me.
0: No, but you know, it's amazing the kind of effect that it has because, you know, I hate to say it, but you tend to be a bit of a nervous wreck at times.
1: Thank you. <laughs> um, and maybe what keeps a- me away?
0: <laughs> um, and I'm just un, unbothered by pretty much everything. So I think we got two completely opposite reactions to the same kind of stimulus. <laughs> okay unfortunately but anyway so the theory that i have about the omen and this includes all of the omen films all three of them plus the weird tv movie thing that they made um not so much the tv series that they made but um yeah i i haven't managed to watch all of that but i've heard that people aren't really considering it canon um but all three of the films there's lots and lots of evidence for my theory uh, and the theory is that Damien is not, in fact, the Antichrist. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> He's not the Messiah. He's a
1: very naughty boy.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, if it's good enough for the Messiah, it's good enough for the Antichrist. But th- <laughs> this is my point. He's not the Antichrist. Um, And, like, I, I have a lot of little bits and pieces that I can kind of put in together here. Because, as you know... I'm very interested in the field of child development and child psychology, mm-hmm. um, and as well as this, like I read the novels of the like the novelizations of the Omen, where they fleshed out Damien's character a little bit because in the first film, he's kind of a normal, not even that creepy little boy. Uh, he
1: barely speaks. Like he doesn't get many talking line like spoken lines. Does he? Yeah, like one. Of, I can remember like.
0: Yeah, I I mean, um, at the very end, he's kind of like, please, Daddy, no, uh, when his dad's about to stab him on the altar. But, like, there's one scene that I remember him being, like, the actor being really happy to see Gregory Peck and just kind of running over to him and demanding that he just kind of flip him upside down, which is such a typical child thing to do. It was really adorable. But, you know, relatively normal child. But, I mean, he's not a normal child, but this is mostly to do with his upbringing. It's not got anything to do with him possibly being the son of Satan. Um, for one thing, like I don't think it's necessarily a satanic thing, the Antichrist. I don't think Lucifer, the demon, would really have any desire to have a child. Because, I mean, Lucifer's thing is free will. And yeah. encouraging people to take the worst options. Um and what was really funny is I was watching a documentary on um the horror streaming service Shudder that was about cursed films. And mm-hmm. uh the omen was one of them because there was um supposedly a lot of really eerie coincidences happened, like there the IRA were planting car bombs in places there was planes that were struck by lightning and somebody was in a car accident outside of a sign that said amen 666. Ooh. Yeah. Things, things like that. But then somebody interviewed on the documentary said that, you know, the, the rumor is that the devil didn't want this, uh, this film to be out there because it's, it's telling all of the secrets. But then some like, The other person said that if this was the devil, he'd be delighted that this film was made.
1: Definitely.
0: Like, he'd want that good PR. Not even (laughs) that good PR, but he'd he'd want people to kind of indulge in their mildly evil side. You know? Because it's it's all about choice. You know? And so, bringing on Doom by introducing the Antichrist to the world, I mean, I think that is mostly a human invention. And of course, the Bible... Was written by human beings so yes. yeah Um, but anyway moving into the actual psychology behind this right so when damien is adopted um by the thorn family so robert thorn first of all you see him uh, he's in italy now i don't know if he specifically flew to italy or if he was already there I couldn't quite pick that up from both that film and the remake, but I think he was working there as an ambassador. And his wife went into labor and they told him over the phone that um, his son had died. And then they kind of introduced him to this other baby that had no mother and said, you know, why don't you take this one and just say to your wife that this is your son? You might as well. Um, Now, Damien's adoptive mother, she was unconscious after she gave birth so she's no idea any of this is going on now that's the first little crack in that relationship that she wasn't awake so they never did skin to skin contact which is actually Mm -hmm. quite important for a newborn baby
1: it's very important for the mother as well
0: big time
1: you need to bond with the child and you need to feel the connection and your body needs to know that you've given birth as well. Because there isn't that that thing that um your body can sometimes not realise that it's given birth
0: and then you can go into shock and stuff. Yeah, big time. There's um in the novelization as well they said that she had a lot of miscarriages. So Mm. giving birth for her is already quite traumatic. And the fact that they sedated her as well, I mean we don't know what exactly happened in the delivery room. The novel never goes into that much detail and the films don't show it. So we don't know how awake she was for everything that's going on. Supposedly, according to the novel, the child that she did have was born alive and then they murdered him after uh, after he was born. Um, and then there was the whole thing where they said that Damien was actually born out of a jackal, uh, which we never see... And that in itself is suspicious.
1: Like wouldn't well, that's something that you would say if you didn't like the child. It's like, oh that that young lad, he must have been born from a jackal as as opposed to actually being born from one. You just said it's like it's almost like an insult if he's misbehaving. That it's like, oh, you must be a fairy's child or something. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, some, something like that. Uh, but I have a crazier explanation, but I'll go into that when we're talking about uh, the cult that is built up around Damien. So we're going to put that on the on the side for now, just keep it in mind. Um, so anyway, he's been given to these adopted parents and they're very happy that they now have a child. But the bond is already slightly cracked by the fact that, you know, maybe subconsciously Kathy knows that this isn't her child. She's already quite traumatized from the birth and they never did the skin to skin. So basically in the the first few years of life, she has to try extra hard to bond with this child in order to create a secure bond. Um, but Damien's parents are not very good for building a bond. Uh, Robert Thorne, the diplomat he's always in his office and he's always going off on trips so he's hardly ever there mm. and when he is there like the, this is the 70s so he's a very hands-off father for the most part um i mean there's a whole scene in the the first film after about 20 minutes where you know himself and Kathy are having a walk and their 2-year-old runs away from them and they can't find him and they're afraid he's fallen into the river and it's like You know, he's two. How do you take your eyes off him for that long in order for him to go missing? Like, and I know kids run off and you lose them. Um, Indeed. Yeah, like that does happen. So I have a certain amount of understanding. But the fact that they just weren't paying attention because they were too busy talking to each other. And the fact that it was a big, long, kind of empty park. So there was no, like, group of children that he could blend in with. You know, it's that to me was a bit suspicious that they're, they're just not very careful. And um, now in the novel, they do say that Kathy is very emotionally fragile and not necessarily even to do with the miscarriages, but that she was always a bit that way. So she's always been kind of prone to depressive swings. And this was in around a time when the word postnatal depression wasn't really mentioned. Mm-hmm. Not not to also mention uh, postnatal psychosis, which is another thing that people don't talk very much about because, you know, people have heard of postnatal depression these days, but you very rarely hear about postnatal
1: psychosis. Yeah, it's not something that comes up all that much, but that's the kind of thing that happens when you see women that kill their children after they have them, like, you've heard those terrible stories of mothers that just snap and drown their kids in the bathtub kind of thing, it would, the amount of hormones that goes through your body when you have a kid, it does have a very weird effect on your brain.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, the the thing that you mentioned about the bathtub there, that was Andrea Yates, the Andrea Yates case where she drowned all her children, Um, I think it came out later that she really didn't want to have that many children and she'd serious mental issues but her husband was putting a lot of pressure on her to have more and more children that she couldn't cope with kind of thing it, it just goes to show that you know when you're emotionally fragile and you have issues and when like again this is the 70s um so they thought the best thing for this woman is to have a child but it, it's really not it makes the It it makes the issues that you already have that much worse. Mm. Because now you have something that's very demanding, it's very needy, it's unreasonable, and you have to care for it even though it's oftentimes ungrateful and you know doesn't appreciate what you do for it. That's just children. You know? Um uh, Glad I wasn't everyone. (laughs) (laughs) well my grandmother used to have a saying uh, that said never match your wits to a child which means that you you never kind of blame a child for being unreasonable because being unreasonable is a child's deal you know their brains haven't fully developed they're not rational human beings yet so you can't have a rational conversation with them um but i mean again I, I'm going to keep saying this a lot, but it was the 70s. So you can imagine, like, Catherine to be one of those uh, people who reads Dr. Spock and just has all the little kind of milestones ticked off in her head that, you know, oh, the child is developing normally for this, 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 and this reason. And, you know, I don't have anything to worry about. But moving on then to the next point is the fact that even though Catherine doesn't have a job, and she doesn't seem to do many activities outside the house that we see her doing. Like she doesn't she's not one of the ladies who lunched, as far as we can see, because they seem to live quite a rural life. and um, they have a full time live in nanny. Mm. You know? And that's suspicious. <laughs> well, it's it's just even, you know, if, if the bond between the child and the parent is so important in those first few years, I mean, I am not against the idea of a woman having an extra pair of hands i'm very much in favor of that but a full-time live-in nanny you know when she really should be trying to bond with this child but then again i think that was an effort to put a bit of artificial distance between herself and her son um now when we do see the nanny like at the birthday party this is the nanny that then goes on to put a noose around her neck and then jump off the roof at Damien's birthday party and supposedly this is a sign that she's possessed um, and is clearing the way for the other nanny to step in. But we don't know that. I mean, there's a, unfortunately, there's a lot of different reasons people commit suicide. We don't know what the um, working conditions were like in that house. Kathy mm. strikes me as being incredibly passive aggressive because when she sees photographers at the birthday party, she marches over to the nanny and just goes, here, give me Damien. And the nanny's like, oh, it's okay, I can take him. And she goes, nope, nope, give him to me. And she just sort of grabs the child off the nanny. You know? Um, And I mean, that's... Sorry. The
1: nanny was a young enough woman as well. So living out rurally, just looking after a child that's not yours, she must have been incredibly lonely as well, because as you said, it was quite rural. They mightn't have had a lot of people over at the house. So if you're spending 24 hours a day 7 days a week just looking after somebody else's child and not having any friends yourself it could have been incredibly lonely for her.
0: Yeah, I I mean um when I was working in childcare there was a thing that I I was just sometimes I was so desperate to talk to a grown-up um <laughs> that you know I'd call a friend just to chat for 20 minutes while the kids were napping or you know I went to a lot of toddler groups in the early days to kind of just sit and chat with au pairs, other nannies, and um, and other parents as well. Uh, just to get that little bit of social interactions, because, you know, small kids, they're, they're not great to talk to about things. It's never really a, a, a two-way conversation. You know, it's mm. mostly you just telling them things and then listening to them babble about things. So, yeah, and, I mean, Damien as well was an only child. So, um, she was very much focused on that one child. And it is mentioned in the novel that um, Catherine thinks of the nanny as being a child herself. And yeah. that that's kind of weird, because then it's like, well, if you consider her a child, why does she have full-time responsibility over your child? Yeah, you wouldn't
1: willfully give your only child to somebody who you didn't think was mentally mature enough to look after them.
0: Big time, yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, like we don't know what that girl's life was like before she jumped off the roof. So, you know, who knows? Maybe she was just incredibly open to suggestion. And maybe there was an aspect of cult behavior in this. And I'm going to talk about the Doomsday Cult in a minute. But we're going to keep talking about um, development. Um, I mean, after the nanny commits suicide. Damien is probably traumatized we don't know <clears throat> now we see him he's kind of like he smiles and he waves at the dog and we're like oh god that child is evil he he doesn't even care that his nanny has kill, killed herself and uh, he's waving at a dog it's like he he's five you know he probably doesn't really have that much of an idea of what death is like um I think I showed you this before but uh, do you remember the episode of Sesame Street when Mr. Hooper died Oh gosh, yes, that that episode is so sad. Oh my mm-hmm. god. And I mean in that Big Bird is meant to be the kind of equivalent of maybe a three to a five year old child. So they tell him that Mr. Hooper died and then he's like, Oh okay and he goes off and he draws a picture and he brings it back and says, This one's of Mr. Hooper, I re I can't wait to give it to him. Where is he? And they have to explain to him again that Mr. Hooper died. Um And he only starts to understand then that dies means you don't come back.
1: Mm.
0: You know, so. Object
1: permanence, isn't it?
0: Completely, yeah. I mean, these things don't really occur to a child until they realize suddenly their primary caretaker is not there making their breakfast. And they're confused by that. And then they're not there to put them in the bath. They're not there to put them to bed. And they get, that's when it really starts to kind of hit home that that person is gone. Mm. You know, and like Robert and Catherine being the people that they are, I had imagined they probably didn't really explain it to him either. And we know now that this kind of trauma has a big effect on kids. But back then they probably thought, well, he, he doesn't seem to be upset about it. He's probably okay. So they never dealt with this trauma. Like in the 70s as well,
1: something like that would have been considered incredibly shameful Even though anybody that does go to that length, it's not shameful at all. It's more sad that they were at that stage. But back in the 70s, they didn't have as much knowledge on mental health at the time. So they probably would have never spoken about it again. They were probably like, oh no, that that never happened. What are you on about? So that would have been also incredibly confusing for a small child when they didn't address why she wasn't there. They probably never mentioned that she died again.
0: Yeah, completely. And I mean, it's a very upsetting thing for a child to lose a primary caretaker and they do say like uh, there has been thoughts in psychology that a child really needs to have the same primary caretaker from the age of when they're a baby at least to when they're three and usually until they're five so you don't want to change your caretaker you especially don't want to change them on a regular basis because then if they disappear all of a sudden with no explanation, the child is kind of weirded out by that, and they start thinking, well, this can happen to anybody. Everybody can go. And this is where we get into attachment disorders, um, which is probably one of... This is a subject that I'm very, very passionate about because um, one of the things about attachment disorders is that it can be very easily mistaken for autism spectrum disorder, mm-hmm. and vice versa. P, you know, there's people who you know may have thought that they were autistic but actually had an attachment disorder there's people out there who were diagnosed with autism and actually had an attachment disorder it goes vice versa they're very easy to mistake for each other and in fact there's a document called the coventry grid that details all the ways in which autism and um attachment disorder overlaps and the kind of the root cause of the behavior like stuff like you know food issues in a child. So for a child with autism, it might be that they only want to eat uh, one color of thing because they don't like things that are unpredictable. They get confused by it. They want things to remain the same so that they can stay in a very comfortable headspace. For a child with an attachment disorder, their food issue comes from, uh, you know, their food being unpredictable. They don't know when their next meal is going to come, where it's going to come from and who's going to make it. And that is frightening to them. So what you see in a lot of kids, especially if they've got something like reactive attachment disorder, which is the most serious kind, uh, they're very prone to food hoarding, you know, or they'll want to eat all the time or they'll shovel food into their mouth so quickly that they'll make themselves sick. It's all part and parcel because their food supply is really unstable or used to be really unstable. And they're trying to protect themselves in that way. Um, but Damien has a lot of the hallmarks of both autism and attachment disorder, so it could be either or. Um, he's very quiet. Uh, in the remake, he's especially quiet, and in the remake, he's actually incredibly solemn. Like that—that's um, um, Davy Fitzpatrick, Sean Davy Fitzpatrick, I think his name is. Um, and he was a very Irish-looking child. He's a—he's Irish. <laughs> But he's, in, he's got a really like Irish face. I don't know how else to describe it. But you can kind of like, you'd see him from a mile away and go, yeah, that, that kid's got Irish blood in him. Um, but he just has this really serious little almost grown-up face. Um, so he's just very, very serious all the time. Like um, that kid from Angela's Ashes. He used to be on the cover oh, yeah. of the Angela's Ashes DVD. And he's just like, you know, he's all kind of gray and he's got this real serious look on his face.
1: It is actually such an Irish head now that you think about the very serious children. Yeah, <laughs> like they're concentrating really hard on something.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a lot of children just have funny little faces. Um, but this in particular, like I'd say they probably chose this kid because he looked like he he had the kind of face that you could, in a horror context, make him look a bit creepy. In the first film he's a relative like he's a normal child. You see him smiling and everything, but again, he doesn't speak much. It's very, very quiet. Um and this is really off putting to the adults that he's around. In the novelization, like they've got staff that are working in their the home and they're always kind of just going, you know, that boy ain't right kind of thing. That
1: boy needs therapy. Right.
0: like <laughs> I shouldn't have known that was coming. <laughs> but it it's just that again it's the 70s you know you wouldn't necessarily got diagnosed with autism unless you were completely nonverbal and like really really low functioning and attachment disorder like who even knew what that was at the time yeah but what's really telling is that when damien has the outburst going to the church and it's just like you know he sees the church in the distance and he starts freaking out um I mean, I've had tantrums because I didn't want to go to mass.
1: <laughs> I think every kid has, especially Irish children. time it's like, ah, it's Sunday time to go to church. But you're just like,
0: no. I don't Why want to
1: go to church? It's boring and smells like cabbage. <laughs> yeah, and I
0: ha- I have to put money in the collection basket instead of using it to buy sweets. <laughs> but like. It's implied that they don't go to the church very often. They're only going there because there's a wedding on. So they're not practicing Catholics. Um, So they wouldn't go to mass on a regular basis. And he's five. He's wearing uncomfortable clothes because they have him in a little suit. Um, and, you know, if, you're, if you've got sensitive skin, if you've never worn a suit before when you're a kid, I, I mean, I, I've looked after kids at weddings as well. And the first opportunity they get, they're tearing off the suit because they just hate wearing it so much because it's not a comfortable thing to wear. And they could have little tags on it as well. And people are just like, oh, why is that kid losing, losing their
1: marbles over there? And it would be because the clothing tag was still on it and nobody thought to check. Like, I know it's happened to my nephew before that he was having an awful fuss and it was only that we realized that the shopping tag was still on it. Uh-huh. And he was like, that's why he was having a fuss. There was a bit of plastic sticking into him. Of course, he was having a tantrum.
0: Well, I mean, you're, you're definitely through a tantrum at your wedding, didn't he? <laughs> because he was wearing it
1: a was suit. was unwell, though. We found out afterwards that he had measles. So like.
0: Oh, no, really? He was upset. I
1: yeah. oh. <laughs> wasn't feeling well, so that's why he was upset. He was also very young at the time. He was yeah. only like six months old. So.
0: Yeah, um, I, I remember I was supervising a child at, well, I was supervising two children at a wedding one time. And uh, one of them was the ring bearer and they gave him a little pillow with the rings on him. And of course he wouldn't hold it up at all. He was just flinging around the place <laughs> just, just because he doesn't understand, you know, he hasn't really been in a a church before like this. He's wearing weird clothes and he's expected to do weird things. So yeah, you bring this, it's a new place that he's not familiar with. He's wearing uncomfortable clothes. This is a massive change in his routine as well. And I know the new nanny that they send out, Mrs. Baylock. she says, uh, I don't think bringing him to mass is a very good idea. Uh, you know, he's not really old enough to understand what mass is like. And the mum is just like, shut up and do what I told you. Um, But of course, like, who knows what he was supposed to be doing with Mrs. Baylock that day. Maybe they had a routine. Maybe he was supposed to be doing something else. I think in the novel they said that he was in the bath. So... You know, maybe that that was part of their routine, that he'd have a bath and then he'd go to the park and things like that. And he's not doing that, so it's confusing. And then there's also the the last factor in this is that his primary caretaker is not there with him. He's there with his parents, who he has quite, um. like, he likes being around them, clearly. But at the same time, he doesn't take them seriously because they're not his primary care- caretakers. His dad is away half the time. And his mum doesn't bother with him a lot of the time. So yeah. like all four of those factors would lead a child of this age to have a big meltdown and start kicking and thrashing and everything. And they don't even hold him the right way when a child is having an actual violent um tantrum. The way that they try to restrain him is the way that you actually can get yourself hurt. There's a certain way to hold a child that's having a violent outburst and it's not the way they did it. So this is why he grabbed onto his mum's hair and started yanking on it.
1: Hmm. I doubt that, though, given the evidence we have that she wasn't a very attached mother, she probably wouldn't be used to holding him that much, so she wouldn't have thought of, you know, restraining him properly. when was the last time she gave him a hug, like...
0: Yeah, I mean, most people don't know how to restrain a child that's having a violent tantrum. Mrs. Baylock probably did, but she's not there, so you know, um, not very useful. But they kind of say, you know, oh God, this is evidence that my child is psychotic. It's not. It's evidence that he might he might be a bit special, or he might be a normal child that's developed an attachment disorder. Um, what's really funny is that back years and years ago. People used to think that autism was caused by what they called fridge mothers, which was a mother who was very standoffish and very cold that the child couldn't bond with and then was leading to autistic behaviors. Now, it was completely discredited, but that's kind of textbook when you're talking about attachment disorders, which do very much resemble autism to the untrained eye. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. But... So they
1: were probably onto something just. Vigley.
0: Yeah, um, there's a documentary called Child of Rage. It's quite a disturbing watch if you're not used to watching disturbing documentaries. Um, but it deals with a child that had very serious reactive attachment disorder um, and the therapy that they had to put her through which was very controversial, still is. Um, basically, she came from a, an environment that was severely neglectful and abusive and the result was she kind of got labelled a psychopath because she was hurting her brother. She was planning to kill her parents in their sleep. Oh, her God. adoptive her adoptive parents. There's literal interviews with her where she talks about how she'd kill them. Like to the point. It's
1: terrifying.
0: It is, but now she went. She underwent some very serious, heavy-duty therapy. She's a nurse now, and she's actually an award-winning nurse. So. Oh wow yeah it was amazing but i mean they could have very easily written her off as as a child psychopath but they didn't and therefore she was eventually able to get past her issues to become a very well-functioning member of society um but that is like it's a thing where people jump to conclusions and just kind of write off a child based on a couple of incidents um now Here's another piece of evidence. Damien bonds with the guard dog straight away. Um, and I mean, it's, there is evidence to say that children with attachment issues and children with um, autism bond very well with animals. Because animals, and in particular dogs, they have no expectations of you and your behavior. Um, mm. And their, con- their affection is usually constant. And they're not unpredictable. I mean, dogs are quite simple creatures in that you, you can expect things from them, especially if they're well-trained. And this dog was clearly well-trained. Yeah. So, you know, you get a lot of kids that just develop, they can't develop bonds with the humans in their lives. So they bond with animals. You know, and this is a Rottweiler as well, which are very, you know, those are dogs that are very well-trained a lot of the time. Like, well, if he, if he was a
1: guard dog, he would have had to go through an awful lot of training anyway. So he was probably a much more calmer dog than, say, your average Wattweiler. He'd be even more chilled, you know?
0: Yeah, now, like, they framed as in uh, Mrs. Bailock says, Oh, I found him wandering outside, and Damien really likes him. But you can kind of tell Mrs. Baylock grabbed him from somewhere. And that he was actually, he was trained to guard the child. That's mm. part of the doomsday cult, though, which I'm still not going to talk about yet. I'm not quite ready to talk about that yet. Um, that's all, all to come. Um, but you know, after a couple of incidences then uh, Damien's dad becomes convinced that he's the Antichrist. So what does he do? Goes off on a round-the-world trip to put a bunch of clues together. He goes Carmen Sandiego, <laughs> basically with himself and the photographer. And you almost
1: the world is Damien's dad. <laughs>
0: Well according to Damien's adoptive dad In, in hell uh, Reigning in hell <laughs> But anyway he, he You never see him checking in with the household You know, Like he calls once to find out that Like he calls Kathy To say get out of the hospital I'm coming to get you um, And then she takes a trip out the window So that's the end of that And then he gets a call to say that she's dead But he never calls the household He never calls the nanny to check in on Damien He never calls his housekeeper so when he arrives back at the house, all of his staff have gone, and he didn't know. Like his housekeeper and all the maids have quit. They say in in the um, novelization, there's just like, yeah, they just opened left one night and they sent a, an address that you can send their last paycheck to. But like they could have left for any reason. They could have left because nobody's paid them in weeks, and. I would expect Mrs. Baylock to still be there because she wouldn't just abandon the child if she was a nanny that was worth her salt. And obviously Mm -hmm. she's not a normal nanny because she's very heavily involved in the cult. But she still cares very much about this child. I mean, if I was in this situation as a child carer, even if I hadn't been paid in weeks, I wouldn't up and abandon the child. Yeah. You know, I might up and take the child with me. And then report to either the police or social services and just say, "Yeah, th- this child's parents have not been back in months. I've no idea where they were. Last time they called, they said they were in Jerusalem, going to a place called Armageddon. I don't know what's going on. Um, you know, help. <laughs> this isn't my child. <laughs> like this isn't my child. But I'm I'm looking at. I am in parent in local parentis at the moment. Um." Because the dad has got some delusions about the child being the Antichrist. And it's like, he's not the Antichrist. He's just a very naughty boy.
1: But if he was acting like Damien was the Antichrist, from Damien's perspective, having that outward animosity towards him from his parents would be deeply damaging as well because children, while they might not know exactly what's going on, they could definitely feel if they're dad thinks they're the antichrist like you get that
0: feedback yeah i mean big time they do say like one of the big um hallmarks for developing uh, an attachment disorder is that you have a parent that has um postnatal depression that was never treated so that they never bond with you because they can't they there's just some there's that block there and kathy is shown to be very like she's not very tolerant of Damien kind of running around and having fun and um, she demands, like he's in the same room as her and he's just kind of like, he's making loud gun noises and stuff normal child stuff, I had like I was looking after a child one time that anytime there was like a gap or a silence in anything he'd start going Nina, Nina because <laughs> he was just mad about fire engines um, but that, one, that was normal for, for him Um. But you'd expect that kind of thing from most kids, and she's just like the child is driving me crazy, Nanny, take the child away. he's just unbearable today, so yeah, completely like completely frigid towards him, and then it's just compounded by when she falls off the balcony, well, like do you know, remember when she's like watering the plants in the stupidest oh, yeah, way of possible? And he's on the little tricycle, yeah, and he bumps into the stool and knocks her over, and i I mean. You know, I nearly cut the top of my finger off one time because the child ran a, uh, a walker into me uh, as I was chopping some vegetables and like, obviously nothing to do with the child. It was a pure accident, but she's like hanging on to the balcony. She's going, Damien, help me. It's like, what do you expect him to do? He's five. I
1: accidentally made my mom fall down the stairs when I was like six months old. <gasps>
0: so does this mean you're the Antichrist? No, I'm just a little shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um,
1: she was fine. By the way, she just a bit shocked.
0: Yeah, she was fine. <laughs> Listen, these these things happen. Household accidents happen, and especially when you're doing something stupid like standing on a rickety little stool to water the plants that you've decided to hang out over the balcony, like. That's an accident waiting to happen. Kind of reminds me of uh, those weird Canadian PSAs that were about workplace accidents where, you know, there's a girl on a ladder and she's hanging up something and then she falls off the ladder and crashes into this glass cabinet. And then her co-worker screams, there's been an accident. And then the girl who fell into the glass cabinet, she gets up and she's covered in broken glass and blood and she just goes, accident? This was no accident. I shouldn't have been up on that ladder. There's two people supposed to be working this job. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm just being reminded of like in like the American infomercials. Yeah. Has this happened to you? Blah, blah, blah.
0: <laughs> Is your child the Antichrist?
1: You might be entitled to compensation. <laughs> now for our new product, Demon Away, call nine nine six six
0: six. Oh, um. So, yeah, like, once that happens, the mum's gone out of the house and it's just Damien and uh, the nanny. And that's probably been the happiest time of Damien's life is when both of his parents were gone out of the house. You know, that's kind of, that's sad. But, that
1: is kind of sad but oddly fitting if you were the Antichrist It's like ha ah, I've done away with my parents <laughs>
0: yeah. but then of course when um when Damien's dad goes and is told that he needs to find the, the mark of the beast 666 and he says but I've bathed him I know every inch of him he doesn't have that birthmark and of course it, it's under the hair um, now this is connected then to um, the doomsday cult which i'm finally going to talk about now
1: i would like to point out something though okay unless it was an incredibly hairy child there is no way that you would miss the mark on his head
0: that's what i was just about to say right um i mean i've washed children's hair before when you're washing a child's hair if there's any birthmarks or bumps there you find them even if that child happens to be very very hairy um, and even newborns, their hair
1: isn't that thick. Like, even if you have a newborn that's born with a full fed head of hair, it's not that thick. It's still wispy baby hair.
0: Yeah, but here you like, can see their head. Like Here is where the people that adopted Damien out to these people are coming from. This is a doomsday cult, right? They are convinced that this child is the Antichrist. So they are facilitating this in order, like, it's almost like I feel they're forcing a prophecy. Because when you do see the mark on Damien's head, when he finally finds it near the end of the film, that's not a birthmark, that's a tattoo. It almost Birthmarks looks, don't look like that. It almost looks like it was drawn on with biro. <laughs> okay.
1: Given the production of 70s films, it might have to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: possibly but um i mean the the actual placement of the tattoo then is exactly on the whorl of the head which is where the fontanelle normally closes up it's the last portion of the skull when it fuses over so yep it probably wasn't there when damien was a newborn maybe damien's dad bathed him once or twice and then didn't do it ever again you know um because he never says that he you know, he says, I've bathed him, I know every inch of him. He that could mean anything. Maybe he's done it a couple of times. Maybe he did a really crap job of it. You know, maybe he just half asked it. So he doesn't know as much as he thinks he thinks he knows. But as well as that, I don't think that Mark was there when Damien was a newborn. This is where the cult is coming into it. So you get the people working in the hospital, first of all, the um the priests and the nun, um and they've got some sort of involvement with this prophecy that they're trying to make come true. So, and, and then, of course, uh, Father Brennan changes his mind and starts freaking out and starts warning them with the child of the Antichrist. So the whole him being born out of a jackal thing, I mean, there's loopholes there. So do you remember in uh, King Lear when um, they were like, King, King Lear could, or not King Lear, it wasn't King Lear, it was Macbeth. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. I had a stupid moment there. But in Macbeth, when um, Macbeth says he can't be killed by any man born of woman. And then it turns out that Macduff was born after his mother died by a caesarean section. So they're like, oh, oh, okay. That means Macduff is capable of killing Macbeth. That's the prophecy fulfilled. That's a loophole. He was still born out of a woman. Just not the normal way. So when they say that Damien was born of a jackal that could mean one of two things first of all we discussed a phenomenon called Fo- folia plusieurs in our attack on titan lost bunker episode uh, which is out there in the ether somewhere but basically folia plusier is the madness of manny so you get one person who is convinced of something and then manages to infect other people with that same delusion Now, it's notable that Father Spoleto, who is the guy in the first film, um, and the remake, obviously, and then in the novelization as well, in all three of those films, he's quite a charismatic man. He's got very piercing eyes. He's very tall. He's got a very soothing voice. And people can be convinced of a lot of things via a person who's very charismatic.
1: Yeah, it's like most cult leaders are like that. Like, um... What was his name? Charles Manson and stuff was supposed to be very charismatic.
0: Yeah, Charles Manson, David Koresh managed to convince a lot of people of some really weird stuff. It you know it happens. So if he's under the delusion that this prophecy needs to happen, and there was a thing I think that they said the Antichrist has to come because it all that also then heralds the birth of Jesus. So they like it's like a condition that they have to set up before. Jesus can come back to earth. So they're forcing this prophecy. So the whole jackal bird, that could be one of two things. Maybe first of all it might have just been a very hairy, deformed woman that they convinced themselves was animal in nature, like the elephant man. That's I mean, true. I mean the elephant I'm... man didn't look like an elephant. No, he didn't. The poor thing. Yeah. Um well I mean there's a lot of different conditions that a person can have. Um, that make them look like they have animal characteristics. There's definitely a couple of diseases out there that causes p- people to be very hairy,
1: like that. Bra- that Brazilian family is are they Brazilian? I think they're they're South American anyway.
0: Yeah. Um. I forget what the name of the disorder is, but basically, yeah, they got covered with hair. This is, um they thought was the ancient sources of things like werewolves. Mm. Uh, a- as well as blaming kind of um. When they didn't know what epilepsy was, they thought you're, they, you were possessed by a demon. But all, all these things just have their roots in science. So, you know, Father Spoleto, even though he's working in a hospital, he's convinced himself that he needs to make this prophecy happen. And there happens to be a pregnant woman with a particular genetic condition that gives her animal-like characteristics. Now, this does not explain why there's an actual jackal skeleton in the tomb later on, But this is where my second explanation is coming in. So in order to force this narrative, it's entirely possible that they removed Damien from an actual living woman and sewed him up into the body of a jackal in order to force that prophecy along.
1: That would be horrifying.
0: It would be, but it has been proven that newborn babies have survived things like getting stuck in toilet pipes, um getting thrown in bins all sorts of things so you know under the supervision of a hospital with oxygen in order for them to actually force the narrative that he was born of a jackal in order to fulfill that little tick on the prophecy and they gave him a jackal birth so come hell or high water they did it and then they adopted him out to um damien's uh, adoptive parents but then as well like it's kind of proven in the later films that there's all sorts of people that are secretly connected to Damien. Uh, like his teacher at the school in the second film and his aunt, who only reveals at the very end of the film that she's always been on his side. She's always been one of his acolytes. It's possible she married Damien's uncle in order to get that bit closer to Damien. Uh, there's lots of different people who are kind of watching from afar In order to get involved, we can't say for certain that one of these people was not a doctor who then tattooed Damien during a checkup after the Fontenelle had closed over. Well, in fairness,
1: like, with the parents being so much like absentee parents. Having him go down to the park to suddenly visit a visit a tattoo parlor wouldn't be completely out of the question. It wouldn't necessarily have to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah,
0: and a Mrs. Barrylock could have done it. You know, she could have just filled him with a couple of sedatives and uh, then tattooed, or or even just drew it on his head with biro. Maybe she draws it on his head in biro after he's fallen asleep every single night,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it just starts to stain after a while. It could
0: be henna. It could be. Yeah, it could be all sorts of things. But either way, you know, it's not definitive proof because you can put that there. Um now, then one of the other things is the poem the Father Brennan quotes, um, you know, From the Eternal Sea he rises, uh, creating armies on either shore. That's not in the Bible. That's they picked that out of somewhere else. And it seems to be a prophecy that they're trying to um like piece together. But You know, who knows where that comes from? Maybe they wrote it. Maybe they're just trying to push some sort of prophecy and are connecting it very loosely to the book of Revelations.
1: Mm. Making it fit the way they want it to be fit.
0: (laughs) Exactly. It was a thing on um, on the documentary about the cursed films that people naturally look for patterns and they will see patterns with when there's actually nothing but coincidence. I mean, you look at something like the Darwin Awards. People <laughs> die in very suspicious and very weird circumstances all the time.
1: That's true. It's actually kind of amazing how many different ways a human body can
0: die. <laughs> yeah, completely. So you get all these like really weird deaths surrounding Damien. But then again, like you can't say that's not the cult's doing, that the cult is not somehow setting these things off. It could just be a massive coincidence. Like, people are naturally more, they will naturally think that a horror movie is more cursed than a regular film. But there has been cursed secular films as well. Superman um, is supposedly cursed.
1: That would explain a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, big time. But uh, it's not a horror film. So it's just one of these little patterns that people like to look for. And, I mean, if you connect the fact that Damien is, you know, has a whole bunch of people surrounding him that may be starting off other people dying, because they're a doomsday cult and they're trying to force a prophecy, and then a couple are just absolute circumstantial, you know? There's there's no real proof. Like the nanny. Yeah, big time the nanny. I mean, the nanny kills his mother, but the photographer that gets his head chopped off in Israel, I mean, that's just careless
1: an accident waiting to happen
0: <laughs> its they've not seen
1: the PSAs
0: <laughs> it, it, it is it kind of reminded me of like all the deaths in Final Destination it's just like this is a highly unlikely series of accidents but in the very first film a lot of those accidents were actually very um, like they, they were they were normal things like somebody got run over by a bus somebody got a sheet of glass dropped on them these are things that have actually happened to people. This
1: is true. Especially like when there's earthquakes and that it's very common for you to be uh KO'd by sheets of glass.
0: Yeah, I mean technically the Twilight Zone film isn't a horror film, but that had that horrible accident where the um the man, Vic Morrow and the two kids died after the helicopter oh, yeah. fell on them. Yeah, like that that was all a massive amount of carelessness in a very unsafe working environment. Um, but it was purely circumstantial. It's not necessarily that the film itself was cursed. It was a horrible accident that shouldn't have happened. But you can't blame any outside forces for it. It was just careless just a mix of carelessness and bad luck. Yeah. Now, there's, a, there's also a factor that in a lot of world mythologies, um, there is a concept of a person that has kind of the bad juju in that they're cursed in some way. So that they um they keep inspiring death in the people around them. It's it's what they use to kind of when a woman has had multiple miscarriages and stillbirths, they say that's just her bad luck. She's got evil spirits around her, kind of thing. Or she's I mean, a witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, never never mind that a lot of these things come from places where the mortality rate for infants is very very high. Um, and there's no prenatal health care. But, like, that's a concept in every world religion. It's not necessarily satanic. It's entirely possible that if there is a demonic force involved in this, it's not Satan. It's just a regular edition demon, like Pazuzu or Paimon.
1: e oldy standard demon.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, That they're just, you know... Damien and the people that he's around, they just naturally inspire more bad luck. Um, in the second film, when his cousin Mark dies, his cousin Mark confronts him about being um, the devil. And Mark is obviously really freaked out by this. And then Mark dies and it's implied that the devil killed him because uh, he was going to stand against Damien. Even though Damien was like, you're my brother, Mark. Come join me and we will rule together. Uh, and Mark is like, no. Uh, that
1: sounds like something from the prequels of Star Wars. I have like, yeah, a higher ground, Damien.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was, pretty much like years before the Star Wars uh, prequel. But they said he died because he had a brain aneurysm. Um, now, they put in some actual fact in this, is that you can have a brain aneurysm for years that just stays there, And then one day it ruptures because you just got really unlucky. But Mark was under a lot of stress at this point. He was freaking out. He was having a big emotional argument with them, with his brother slash cousin. And so I could well imagine that the stress of that would actually cause this sort of ticking time bomb in his brain to suddenly rupture. You know, it's pure bad luck.
1: Very, very unfortunate timing, but you can't necessarily say that it was anyone's fault
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah completely um now by the time you get to the third film like he's relatively normal like he's actually a fairly normal kid in the second film even though all this horrible horrible stuff has happened to him but he, like he's actually he's normal he's polite he has friends he's nice to the people that work in in the house he's got a good relationship with his aunt and uncle and he's got a really close relationship with his cousin slash brother um, he's a nice, normal kid, so like he's managed to get past certain of the things that happened to him, and I'm sure that they must have looked into getting some sort of therapy for him after his father tried to kill him.
1: yeah, they'd have to,
0: <laughs> yeah, it would
1: just be like that never happened,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: completely gave the kid nightmares,
0: yeah,- exactly, they would have had to get him some sort of therapy for. All the people, because his his nanny, Mrs. Baylock, she died as well. So did his dog. Um, he just kind of lost his entire life overnight, basically. Um, and yeah, so he would have had to have some sort of therapy. Um, even back in the seventies, that was a thing when you went underwent something like this. So he turns out he's he's relatively normal. He's got good social bonds with people. So. I mean, this is where I say he's probably not autistic or at the very least he's high-functioning enough that he masks it incredibly well or that he did, in fact, have an attachment disorder but he's kind of gotten to the point where he can cope and has good bonds and good social ties with the people around him because his aunt is obviously on his side. His aunt is very nurturing. A healing
1: presence.
0: (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Um... And then, of course, by film three, he's convinced he's the Antichrist and he's taken over his Doomsday cult. So it's probably always waiting for him to grow into adulthood and say, "Okay, yeah, you're the Antichrist. We've facilitated all of this stuff for you to take over. It's still a cult. He's still a normal dude. Normal people have done this. Like you said earlier, Charles Manson, David Koresh, Jim Jones, they've managed to convince people to do the weirdest things and the creepiest things. They've convinced people to kill on their behalf. So, that's not proof that he's the Antichrist at all. And the fact that those monks that come after him with the daggers keep dying, I mean, that's, again, it's all a whole bunch of accidents. There's a scene in the film, actually, where two of the monks think they've gotten him and they're stabbing him with the daggers. And then they open up the cloak and it's not Damien, it's the old monk. But they're running around a moor at night so yeah
1: not the best visible visibility there going
0: on yeah exactly and then he traps them in a vault overnight so they presumably like suffocate or starve to death and that's the end of them but again this is all circumstantial stuff like there's a certain amount of planning here but again there's no demonic forces there you could do this if you just happened to be a normal guy and now by the fourth film and did you see the fourth film no, I'm afraid I haven't uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful mess. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what happens in the fourth film is that uh, you know Damien is dead and he's gone, but a little girl is born, and she is supposedly I, I think they kind of hint that she's his daughter, but that she's also secretly carrying a twin inside her that is going to be the rebirth of Damien. And this little girl is more actively psychotic, as in she she does deliberately do things that hurt people and kill people. And she's only like eight years old.
1: That's concerning.
0: <laughs> it is very concerning. But then you watch that documentary, uh, Child of Rage, and that's the way she acts as well. She Again, it's another child with reactive attachment disorder. Like, what's really weird about that film is her parents are a lot more hands-on, and she's obviously got a very good relationship with her dad, her adoptive dad. But she's got a terrible relationship with her mother, and her mother hires this really hippy dippy person to be a nanny, and starts, you know, this woman starts talking about like healing crystals and stuff like that, and the mother takes it at completely face value. So the mum just seems to be an absolute eejit.
1: <laughs> an anti-waxer, <And>
0: probably. <laughs> Um, but that's a little too political for us. You know how we feel about lack of politics on this podcast. Fair enough. <laughs> Behave yourself. Um. Well, yeah, the, the, like the film is really considered canon, but if you want to put it this way, I mean, this is again, it's another relatively normal child. As in, she, she's normal in that she doesn't have any demonic powers. But. She's just actively psychotic. And the whole thing with her carrying her twin and then the twin getting implanted into the mum so that the mum can carry the child to term and then rebirth the Antichrist. I mean, that's what the doctor who was secretly working for the Doomsday Cult told the mother when she held them at knife point. But he could just be spinning the yarn.
1: You know? There's no way that could physically work.
0: Exactly. There is no way that it could physically work. However, what he could do is that he did prove that, like, the, the child had just had her first period. And the mom is like, but she's only eight. And it's like, it, it's rare, but it's not impossible. So that he could have, um, you know, because he was a doctor working in the hospital, he could have harvested an egg from that child and then implanted it into the mother
1: horrifying to think of but very plausible.
0: <laughs> it, it, it is it is horrifying and very unlikely but again this is a cult and cults are not known for doing mundane average things so anyway that is the end of my theory how plausible on a level of 1 to 10 do you think it is?
1: I'd say it's a solid 8 out of 10
0: <laughs> thank you that, that's pretty good I, I was expecting you to say 6 maybe even 666 six, six
1: it's 666 out of 10
0: <laughs> <laughs> just for the crack anyway um yeah so that that was uh, i i don't really have anything to add i just
1: <laughs> i think that was a great theory and like it makes me feel really bad for damien now i'll never be able to look at that film the same way without just going oh
0: he just needs a hug." He's so cute in the first film like he's, he's just like this little five year old scamp like that, that whole bit where he smiles at the camera at the very end like the director Richard Donner was just saying to him and uh, you know turn around and look at the camera don't smile don't you dare smile but he really liked the director so when he turned around uh, he, he just he couldn't resist smiling so he just does this little impish smile and it actually turned out to look slightly ominous because they layered <laughs> the satanic music on it, but it, it's just his little I was told not to smile, but I'm smiling anyway. Yeah, kind of thing. He's so cute. And and then um like the kid in the remake, he's also very, very cute. He's just he's just such a funny looking little guy. With his little Irish head on him. I kinda wanted to give her a give him a farmer's cap and a toy combine harvester.
1: <laughs> oh my god. I really hope that there is such thing as a toy combine harvester now.
0: Oh there is. Like I, I used to look after children in the countryside, and uh, one of them, their first word was combine.
1: That's insanity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe they were secretly possessed by some sort of a farming cult. <laughs> but I am maybe the Mrs. Baylock in this case,
1: and I didn't know it. Oh, Lord! At least I, I. Ew.
0: At least I wasn't the nanny that jumped off the building.
1: True.
0: Okay, anyway, anyway we, we had better stop this before I go on. We've been going out, on for an hour. We, we have, we have. Um, okay, so this has been another crackpot theory that got wildly out of control. Uh, if you are annoyed by any of the things that we have said, feel free to leave us a review somewhere. If On the other hand, if you did like what we just said, then you can leave us a good review because we like those two. Um... We're on Buzzsprout, iTunes, Spotify, all the places where you listen to good podcasts, bad podcasts, and every other podcast in between. You can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, and TikTok. Um, This has been another Crackpot Theory. I've been Sinead. And
1: I'm Sark and, yeah, that was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.